0: The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BoundlessPursuit for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at BoundlessPursuitFishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.Boundless-Pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. If you're the kind of angler keen on learning new fisheries and angling opportunities, today's guest is going to make a compelling argument on why you should be adding Virginia to your to-do list For fishing adventures. Grant Alvis of Virginia is somebody that I've had the pleasure of fishing with on several occasions. And if not for guys like Grant and our mutual friend Josh Dolan, I may have never known how diverse that Virginia's rivers, lakes, and coastline can be. And I gotta admit it, before meeting these guys, Virginia was never even a blip on my radar. But the images of the fish these guys are pulling out of Virginia waters will stop you in your tracks and make you take a very real look at your calendar, your finances, and your vacation time. Alvis spends the course of his year working the Chesapeake Bay for world-class redfish. I'm talking 50-inch-plus redfish. Moving in mass migration for some of the most incredible angling opportunity in the entire country. And he's catching these things on fly. He's catching them on lures. He's catching them from my kayak. They're just enjoying these world-class monster fish every which way you can imagine. And just a ways inshore are the unique tidal marshes they stand virtually unchanged since the birth of our nation, historically significant with abundant wildlife and fishing opportunity. And maybe most unique among them are the relative newcomers to the marsh, the northern snakeheads. And Grant has established himself as one of the premier snakehead fishermen in Virginia, if not the entire nation. And the two of us share a common passion for the pursuit of bowfin where he opts to chase them proactively with lures and flies. And just a short trek up river, we discuss what might interest me on a personal level the most. Their opportunity each year to follow a shad migration upstream to hundreds of monster flathead catfish that can be sight fished with artificial lures and rapids. Now this is incredibly badass stuff. And it's something that I personally hold very high on my list of angling opportunities and experiences that I have got to try. And a westward trek into Virginia's mountains Long river systems unbroken are trout streams, opportunities at smallmouth bass and muskie, And Virginia as a whole is just an underrated fishing scene. And it's a scene that I think stacks up to any fishery in the United States. And Grant is just a great steward of his fishery and an awesome guest to come on and sell you the idea of fishing in Virginia. This is Grant Alvis of Virginia. Let's get into it. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll start by apologizing that it took so long.
1: <laughs> nah, we're good.
0: But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, you've kind of been like an obvious pick when I was starting this whole podcast because like, I'm trying to bring more guys on that, that are well rounded anglers and that do unique styles of fishing or might mm-hmm. have like some angle to their pursuits that other people might find interesting or didn't know uh, existed. And you're, you and Josh, both y'all are kind of a good case in point for me because up until the point that I came up there and fished with y'all, Virginia would have never been on my radar. I just, I didn't think Virginia had anything. It's too ignorant. Didn't know. Truthfully,
1: truthfully, if I mean, if you look at like what you see on TV and stuff like that, other than one or two of the rivers, I mean, you don't really hear about anything because I mean, the only thing you really have media-wise is like some professional bass series come here, like the James River is known around the country, and then the Potomac. But the Potomac is it doesn't get the press. It doesn't get the press that the James does because they put all those Florida fish in the James, so the James has some giants in it now.
0: Yeah. Well, y'all have such a diverse fishery from like where it's like mountain, and I'm going to sound like an idiot because I'm like I'm, I'm talking I'm talking about your waters. Yeah. But I mean, I look at your photos and it's like. I, I kind of envy that style of fishing where you're very like seasonal, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can do so many different kinds of fishing throughout the year from trout fishing to musky fishing to the snakeheads and the bowfin and the gar. And then you like, as you're moving towards the yeah, coast, all the,
1: the salt water too. I mean, it's like, I've, I've told you, I've told a lot of people there's, there's very few places in the world that are to an angler. I mean, not just freshwater, but just an angler in general, like Richmond, Virginia does. I mean, that's, you know, hometown. I live just east of there, but an hour and a half from my door to the West, I could catch native brook trout that have been there forever, you know, since the ice age or beginning of the ice age, whatever. And an hour and a half to the East, I could catch gigantic Cobia, huge sharks. I mean, we get big greater hammerheads up in the Bay in the late summer, um, And then, I mean, I've never caught one, but they are there. We see them when we're cobia fishing. And then the largest red drum on the planet. I mean, that's really, the cobia and the stripers were what the bay was always known for. And it's still still known for big stripers. They're coming back. But we've got a whole lot of issues with like a commercial fishing fleet that's taken the bunker and all that stuff. But the new poster child for the Chesapeake Bay and what's really bringing people there is these just colossal red drum that we have. I, I mean, feel like
0: in in for the purpose of this conversation, like I'll be honest, i I think that is probably like that is like a bucket list fish for me. like that is the number yeah, one I mean, thing I want to come up there and do with y'all is those giant red fish.
1: It, it really is ludicrous, man. I mean, you <laughs> like everyone knows all oh, the world record was caught in North Carolina is ninety four pounder that's you know, that's back when you could kill them. You can't kill them anymore if they're over. I think they're federally protected over 40 inches. I think the only place you could kill one that big might be like Louisiana or somewhere in the Gulf, mm. but I, I know they're federally protected. I mean, that that's what made them rebound so much, but like, I mean, it, it's just crazy. The world record was caught in North Carolina, but it was caught in November. That's a migratory Virginia fish that, or, you know, however you want to consider it. Our, our big giant drummer migratory. Yeah. They show up every year, late March, early April. Hang out all summer long, get fat and happy, gorge on bunker blue crabs and whatever else they want to eat. And then turn around, they spawn early fall, like September, October, and then head back south. And they've got some tag data to show that, like, a lot of our fish make their way all the way to Charleston and then they, like, hang out in Charleston and then U turn and come right back.
0: Yeah. But, I was thinking. Like, I, I was, like, thinking uh, that's, like, probably the most interesting fish that I wanted to pick your brains on is these red fish. And I'm thinking, yeah. like, w- when we first started this conversation, I'm like, I think I want to start with, like, the muskie and trout in the west and work our way gradually during yeah. the conversation to that. But rather, let's start on the coastal fishing and we'll yeah. work our way west. Yeah, easy. Y'all multi-species guys, it's so hard for me to, like, not bounce around because you do so much. And I think that's yeah. what I appreciate – out of you as an angler, so you've got all these opportunities in your backyard and you have made the decision not to limit yourself and become a one trick pony. It's like you you're yeah. taking advantage of, of all I, opportunities.
1: And it's awesome. I joke about that a lot. I, I, like, I tell people all the time, I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll be called a lot of days. I'll never be called a one trick pony. Yeah. <laughs> so you should never say I only fish for one thing or I only know how to do one thing. No, like, the, I'll, I, I'll, that,
0: the idea yeah. of doing that, like keeps me up at night. That, like, you would have this incredible opportunity right outside, like within an hour and a half commute of you, and make a conscious decision, like a choice yeah. to to deprive yourself the opportunity or the it's experience like being a of bass catching it.
1: It's like being a bass fisherman and like going down the James, running up the Chickahominy, this huge, you know, one of the more, it's one of the northernmost cypress swamps in the world, running into this cypress swamp, flipping. Cypress trees for bass, and you see a 10 or 12 pound bowfin swimming down the bank, and you're just like, Oh, I'm not going to cast in that. What? Like, why? Why would you not do that? (laughs) And it's, I mean, it's, I don't know. I I don't understand these guys that pick one species, and it typically is pretty vindictive. Like, it's typically bass and catfish guys. They're the ones who like fish for one thing. And I'm like, I mean, it's fine, but I am like,
0: I am thoroughly convinced. Like, let's say you do want to be the best bass fisherman, and you're, and your neck of the woods, it yeah. just seems like it would like behoove you to become intimately familiar with all the competitive I, species and and like how the environment just, as a whole operates. I've
1: always said fishing for other species makes you better at fishing for yeah. everything I, I still I mean, there's days where I'm fishing for one thing, and I'll be like, "Oh, man, you know, this fish does that too." or like, oh, they're doing this just like this fish does. And like sometimes you'll see like, You'll see fish in saltwater doing the same thing that fish in freshwater do. Like the way they post up and current and stuff like that. I mean, it's people are really they're doing themselves a huge disservice by sticking to one one species. They really yeah. are.
0: Well, it's also interesting well, how one fish will move the other out out of an area during different seasonal time frames. Like, okay, the presence of largemouth means the absence of this, or the presence of this means my largemouth have moved out here. But anyway, yeah, we've got
1: a couple streams where like trout and smallmouth share the boundary. So you'll have yeah. like trout will scoot down a little farther in the wintertime because it's getting cold. And then, you know, they're getting farther away from like the natural springs that feed the river. And then as the summer gets here, that water down here is getting a little warmer. and Then you start seeing the smallmouth creeping up the line further and the yeah. trout get all pushed up. I mean, it's I don't know. It, it just goes back to Virginia to be in such a diverse place. We've got such crazy fisheries. It's, it's one of those things it's like, I want to tell everybody it sucks so nobody comes here. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all it's too good not to talk about. Yeah. Well, I think
0: as far as like seeing your catches, the one for me, the eye appeal is those those giant redfish. And I know I came up there one time to make a stab at it. Conditions yeah, weren't we- right. We had a narrow window. But that's a fascinating one to me because I think about like where I've caught redfish or where I've seen redfish and it's like, I, I like see those fish and I wonder if it's even the same thing. Like where i met in Southwest Florida on the Gulf, yeah. fish of that caliber do not exist.
1: No, they are not here. And so I'm wondering, like, we call them uh we call the Gulf coast drum. We call them baseball bat red. Is it the same thing?
0: Like will that will my redfish eventually yeah. be in Virginia?
1: Your fish don't ever come over here. At least we've never seen the science has never showed any tagged fish to make it from the Gulf to the Atlantic coast. Maybe a little bit around that southern tip of Florida where they can bounce back and forth. But like for the most part, any fish that lives probably north of I don't know, Sanibel or like Naples area, that fish is never coming into the Atlantic. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not. So and, what? Th- and not to mention, just Florida fish in general, I don't think your fish migrate as much. I think the northern Atlantic, like the mid-Atlantic fish, they constantly, I think the reason they get so much bigger is they do nothing but live exactly where they want to live their entire life. Yeah. Like when it starts getting really hot in Charleston, that water starts warming up and the baits migrate north. They're like, okay, let's go up there. And they do nothing but follow bait and migrate their whole life. All, they, all a redfish does is eat. He just eats constantly. And they take so long to migrate, and they follow with the currents and everything. They're not really exerting that much effort coming up here. They're yeah. just cruising and eating, cruising and eating. And whenever you find them in the bay, all they're doing is cruising and eating. Every one of them is just gorging all day long.
0: So during like the course of the year, like I don't know, I guess I'd call it like the Atlantic Coast redfish it almost makes me wonder like if there's that degree of separation where they just flat out never see each other you almost begin to wonder if there's separate strains of redfish there's a uh
1: there's a cool study going on right now just with our fish in general virginia is one of the only places you see these big like 54 55 inch long drum i mean yeah you used to occasionally See him in North Carolina. That's what that world record was. It was like a 55-inch long drum that weighed 94 pounds, and um, you just don't see 50s getting caught in North Carolina. I mean, the the citation or the, you know, the trophy requirement is proof of it. I think a trophy red drum in North Carolina is 40 inches, in Virginia it's 47. So I mean, that you're separated by a imaginary line that is a state border, and suddenly. If your drum isn't seven inches larger, it's not a trophy anymore. We don't care about a 40-incher up here. Like, (laughs) and it's, I'll tell you, just in my lifetime, in the last 10 years, a 50-incher doesn't even turn heads anymore. Like, nobody cares. I mean, there's so, so many of them. Like, it's, people will probably hear this and they're like, this guy's crazy. That's not true. But you can look at any of the guys that fish up here. I mean, if you find a school of drum and you catch 10 out of it, eight of them will be 50 inches. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, the, the caliber of drum we have is completely unmatched. Compared oh, it's to it's world, the
0: world, world class. It's like world little, the, I got to cash the in study on that.
1: I was, the study I was refre- referring to, I got off a little tangent there. No, they okay. believe we have two separate schools of drum. We mm. have a school that migrates south that goes and, you know, rides the Outer Banks, and that's the ones that get caught off the surf down there in Hatteras. and all the outer banks, hot spots. And then they think we have a school predominantly those bigger 50 plus inch fish. They think they just migrate due East. They just go offshore and they think they're out there somewhere. And they, they've had some isolated incidents in the winter time where like offshore captains will be like going out to fish for like black sea bass, 30, 40 miles offshore. And they'll just run into this giant mass of drum laying on the bottom way offshore. And they're, they're just wondering what they don't know exactly, but there's something to the fact that you have all these gigantic 50 plus inch drum in the Chesapeake Bay. And then when October gets here and they migrate out the Bay, they just disappear. You see a handful get caught in North Carolina, the fishery down there. Like I do a lot of that out. Al- fishing and stuff like that down in mm-hmm. uh, Moorhead city, Harker's Island area. When you find drum there, when you find those big schools, they're all the same size. They're like 42 to 44 inches long. And there's that's, acres of them.
0: Yeah, that's what so I was gonna you ask you. As if it, yeah, that's what I was curious about. It was like, is it gonna be? Are they like a very specific size range? Like, a, it's like they're a brood that has yeah, always they been together. Travel
1: together for the most part. it's now, not I mean, like
0: forties and fifties and thirties mixed in together. It's like
1: not typically the the thirties. That's we call those the the mystery fish in Virginia. Those like thirty four to thirty eight inches. They just you like never catch them. We don't really know where they go. It's weird. You might find them just occasionally, but it's almost like they're too big to be up on the flats rooting around with the pumps anymore, and they want to cruise with the bigger fish. But, like, I personally, I think they're in those schools with those bigger fish, but the bigger ones just beat them to all the baits. You're throwing a bait in there, and there's a 45-inch drum and a 38-inch drum. I mean, that 45-inch drum's mouth's eight inches across. He, he's going to probably get it before that that little one does. I I don't know those weird, like upper thirties, mid 30 inch fish. They're just kind of hard to find in Virginia, but you find a ton of pups, you know, up in the flats, shallow, and then you find the giants. So that's, that's like my favorite part about redfish in Virginia is we have some really, really good inshore sight casting, like to belly crawling pups, like anywhere from 16 to like 26, 27 inch fish. Every other, every few years, you'll get this real good run of like 29 to 30 inch fish. But then uh you have you have the whole life cycle. You catch rats, pups, and then you catch super giants. It's just cool. It's cool to catch those supergiants and then go later in the summer and catch like a 17 inch redfish. And you're like, you're gonna be gigantic one day. <laughs> like you're holding this little creature in your hand and you're like, I catch your brothers and sisters that are yeah eight times your size like they're so much bigger than you
0: now the giant ones is like is their arrival into your area like predictable like is it one of those things it's like
1: it's pretty it's consistent gonna... every year it's usually it depend it, it. they show up with the mood more often than not like water temperature water temperature plays a factor like if the water's warm enough you can almost count on them if you have like a late full moon in march they'll show up but it's usually the first or the the full moon in April is when they really show up good, and uh, they they definitely cater to like the crabs too because uh, a lot of the old timey crabbers around here, like the old guys, they say that moon in May is like the biggest molt for crabs all year. That's mm-hmm. when you have all the soft shells and stuff. So like from May till July is soft shell season, and uh, drum aren't stupid. Yeah, they can crush them freaking rock and I mean, they crush oysters and stuff to eat so they don't care if it has a soft shell or not but you're still going to eat the easier meal if you can so because yeah,
0: because when they come pouring into the bay or whatever area yeah. and like are they pretty indiscriminate and in what they're, they're just eating whatever's in their path or are oh, they yeah. keyed I mean, in on specific like food sources
1: i'll be honest when they first show up they're usually in schools like big schools i mean we yeah. had we had probably the best spring we've ever had this year out patrolling various areas of the bay looking for them these it's all sight fishing in the spring you go out like tower boats and i mean the first day we went out there we caught i mean we caught like 30 and i mean we pulled the boat out of the marina we were in and with i mean the sun was up and you could see a school almost a mile away i mean the water was just glowing I'm saying like, what
0: are you how are you seeing them? You just see their
1: backs or as no, birds? See, I mean, or you there see... are so many of them. And our water clarity up here is pretty good in the spring, believe it or not. It's as long as it's not windy, it doesn't churn those flats up too bad. Yeah. It literally looks like a pumpkin patch. It's this giant orange glow in the water. I mean, you, you can't miss <laughs> it. You can, you don't even need polarized glasses. You can see them. The the, la, the funny thing is, most of the schools are about 75 to like 150 fish is like an average school. But mm-hmm. in the spring, there are days where you see schools that, I mean, people are going to listen to this. So you're going to be like, this guy is so full of crap. There are legitimately days you can't see the end of it. I mean, Jeez. a mile of I've fish. I've seen
0: videos like that online. I mean, it's believable. Yeah. You can see the drone videos that are, I'm not sure where they're taken, but I know, I know I've know i mean, seen the drone videos where Black it's like painless.
1: H- Black Tip H has a cool video with yeah. one of our local captains with Austin Haney of Fineo. Um, If you search like black tip H giant red drum, you'll see it. Mm -hmm. They have a school that they found. This is later season, but they found a school out there. They were actually in the ocean and they found a school off the beach. I think they were, you know, they were eight or 10 miles out. They were way out looking for Cobia and they just came across a school that was legitimately like three miles long and like 200 yards wide. And it's just, I mean, you can see it in the video. It's just shoulder to shoulder, colossal red drum, 10, I mean, just hundreds of thousands of them.
0: I mean, and so, you got, these, so you got these massive, incredibly powerful fish that yeah. exist in these enormous schools. I know that at, at some point, I would think the school itself becomes almost like a hazard, like you can be entangled. I
2: mean,
1: yeah, I mean, dude, there's days where you're out there casting at them. And I mean, the, the first day we were in a, a buddy of mine, Corey, we were in his Jones brother's. And it's just a, you know, a deep V bay boat with a cobia tower on it. And there was a point where we had four of us, all four of us are hooked up and the school is surrounding the boat and you can feel the drum thumping into yes. the boat trying to get away. I mean, they <laughs> drum are funny when they're in a school. I try to describe it to people. I'm like, when there's that many redfish in a school that big, I mean, they're like I said, there's some days these schools are 150 yards wide. The only fish that really know what's going on are the ones that are hooked. The rest of them are like, are we scared? Are we eating? Are we scared? Are we eating? What's going on? What's Joe (laughs) doing? Yeah. For like that, like 25 (laughs) second period for when you're first hooked up, everybody's just sailing baits into the water and all these drummers are like, Oh, I guess it's, I guess we're eating. And then they get hooked and then it's all just pandemonium. But, uh, I mean, they're, they're just so fun, man. I, I I know a lot of these hardcore Cobia guys are like, oh man, they're just a dumb drum. Why do you want to catch a drum? I'm like, they're big, they're stupid, and they fight really hard. I'm like, what Like, what right. more do you want? You can catch I them know. on top water. Like, We've gone out there some days where I'm not, I mean, it's, once again, people are going to listen to this and be like, this kid is so full of crap. They're, we've gone out there before and caught so many of these stupid drums that we'll take a popper and take the hooks off just to bomb it into the school and watch <laughs> seventy-five fish try to eat it on the on the oh, yeah. way in. I mean, blowing up on it. You see just this five-gallon bucket mouth just eat a ten-inch popper, and it's like, I, I mean, it's just one of the most violent things you've ever seen. And you pull it out of his mouth, and then there's another one, and another one, and I mean, they they just don't care. And they you're just doing get the same so thing with,
0: with fly gear as well, right? I've seen the yeah. photos of you fly fishing for them. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, dude, when you hook Jeez. me, I mean, you could throw a beer can into those schools <laughs> and they're going to bite it. Like It's so <laughs> stupid. I mean, I, I'll be the first to say catching those giant drum in Virginia on a fly is, it's an accomplishment because it's a huge fish, but it's not hard. It's just you got to get out there and get to where they are. And then you plop a fly in there. One, two strips and it's like thud. There he is. Like, okay, this is gonna take 15 minutes. And <laughs> you just set the hook and hang on. They don't the only way they typically break you off is if they run back into the school. I mean, they yeah. you're out in the middle of the bay. There's nothing to break off on. You just hang on. Now, I mean, it's nothing fancy. When
0: they leave, I mean, are they heading north or are they heading south? And are they south. just gone like that? Is it just like it- all of a sudden there they're, uh, it's over There's
1: some years where it's like a light switch. And then other years, it's more of like a slow bird of them leaving. But, uh, the fall fishery is really cool because they come in, they kind of, I mean, they go all the way to the top of the Chesapeake. They catch drum in the mouth of the Susquehanna, like way yeah. up the bit. Yeah. And, uh, they catch them way up the Potomac. They catch them all the way up into Maryland and almost into freaking Pennsylvania. Like it's, it's crazy how far they go, but then they all start migrating out after that, like first, Good cold snap in like late September, mid-September, and they start flooding the lower bay, they start piling up on structure. So, like wrecks, bridges, the the really cool fishery that I mean, you've probably seen hundreds of pictures from me. The we catch them in the kayaks at the Bay Bridge tunnel. Yeah, oh, that's
2: awesome.
1: (laughs) 17-mile tunnel that goes across the whole Chesapeake Bay to the eastern shore. And I mean, you're hooking a freaking
0: uh, kayak.
1: Oh, <laughs> you're hooking a seventy-pound redfish, vertical next to a bridge, and all he wants to do is break you off. That's all he wants to do.
0: How are y'all landing those? That's what I always wondered in your pictures. Where, like, at uh, some point, you get that damn thing in your lap. I'm like,
1: yeah. Is there like an the art credit. to it
0: without tipping? I'd be scared to fall over.
1: All the credit in the world goes to a buddy of a, a buddy of ours, like a local guy. He's the definition of like the OG kayak fishermen. Kevin Whitley. Uh, mm. He's a dude you should really consider getting on, but, like he's an awesome dude. He goes by, uh, his Instagram's like kayak Kevin. He's actually Josh gotten, has told like, me about dude. him. Yeah. I seen dude, him on he, the website
0: too.
1: The dude's unbelievable. He's been kayak fishing since like putting rod holders on a kayak was like the dumbest thing you could ever do. <laughs> he developed this kind of like technique for landing him. He calls like the leg sweep. So when you're in these big kayaks, like kayaks nowadays, modern day kayaks are pretty stable. They're a little bit wider than they used to be but still, you know, it's like a 60 plus pound fish and you're trying to horse them into the kayak. Drum, luckily, they have like, they have a really big pronounced like gill plate that you, it looks in pictures like you're just in there grabbing their gills, but you're not. They have this big bone. It actually feels just like the bone right beside, like it feels like your jawbone. Yeah. You reach in there, we all call it the drum handle. When you get them beside (laughs) the boat, you just reach in there, you lock your head into that jawbone and you stick your leg in the water, and just sweep them in with your leg. And they, I mean, they honestly, once you get their head up, you just kind of plop, Just they just plop right into Jeez. the kayak. And it's a drum. They, I just I, envision I this Kevin
0: guy with like one giant quad. Oh,
1: <laughs> he's he's got videos you. of him with like, he's got videos of him like tripled up with them with like two giants in the kayak. And he's like landing another one. Like it's, It's just pandemonium. And the way he developed, like, the way he learned how to do it was nuts. Like, he'll tell you to this day, he'll never do it the way he used to. They used to anchor up in the shoals, like, 7 to 10-foot breakers are, like, 20 feet off the kayak, and they're throwing baits in there. And then they're (laughs) hooking grub that are trying to pull you into the breakers. (laughs) Oh, gosh. No one does that anymore. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) no one. But, yeah, I mean, the the Bay Bridge Tunnel in the fall is our – That is when. Almost everyone catches them in a bit of kayak because it's really accessible. You so, can catch them fairly close to shore. I don't know. I mean, it's still. I think, technically speaking, it's one of the hardest fish on planet Earth to land in a kayak. You're hooking mm. a gigantic fish that's powerful as crap. You're. I mean, you're hooking it. They're glued to the pilings. You're hooking. I, I'm about this to say,
0: especially around the pilings, like you're at the yeah. mercy of what that fish wants to do at yeah, least for I mean, the first thirty seconds of the fight.
1: Yeah, the the second you hook him, the first thirty seconds is everything because he's either going to be a dumb one and swim right out into the bay. Like once in a while, you'll hook one and he'll just leave the bridge and just go out into La La Land, and you're like, oh cool, I'll, you catch ninety percent of those. The next thing he's going to do is you hook him and he goes right through the pilings, and you're like, okay, that's where the kayakers have the huge advantage because we can you chase him right through. through. Yeah, yeah, that's tough because I mean, this is even more credit to Kevin. When you feel that braid touch the pile, the first thing you do is put the reel into free spool. Just free spool. That's Whatever what was, happens, happens. That's what I was but interested like, in. It's
0: like I would think that you'd want to put, I don't know, like a 30-yard shock leader on there. Of like
1: I, I, run a longer mono. Leader, I run a longer leader than most people. I run two rod lengths, so usually about 15 feet, maybe 14.5, yeah. give or take. And uh, I run a leader of like 80 usually. And that gives you a little bit of leeway. Um, they'll still break it like it's dental floss on those, right. on those pilings, but it at least gives you that extra half to three quarters of a second to be like, Oh crap, like flip the reel into free spool. And Kevin explains it perfectly. If you fight that fish around the piling, he's going to break you off 100% of the time.
2: Yeah. Like but if you put it into yeah. free
1: spool and chase it through, at least your odds are like 50 50, you know, you, yeah. you chase him through, get him free of the piling and then reel up your slack and. Drum are not good at throwing a hook, period. I mean, they, they just, once you drill them with a jig or you hit them with a circle hook with a live bait, they're not throwing it. Well, they like, got, like,
0: thick mouths. It's like, real going to get buried thick, in there.
1: Yeah, like, big, thick, like, grandpa, just nasty, old yeah. man. lips. like, just huge, <laughs> meaty face. You get a barb in their face. It's just so much meat there. They They're terrible at throwing it, and they don't yeah. roll. Drum do not roll. Right. So as long as you're over top of them, they can't get the hook out of their head unless they break you off. Mm -hmm. So the ones that I free spool, I would say it's your odds are better than 50, 50, honestly, but you chase them through, you re-engage. And I've had a fish. Luckily I landed it. The wildest one ever was I hooked it. It went through the pilings, free spool, go through, re-engage. And then my lines back through the pilings the other way. I'm like, are you kidding? (laughs) And then I'm like pedaling my kayak back through the pilots, re i'm like where is this fish and he had already gone through the next set of pilings i went through four sets of pilings with this fish and i catch it and it's like a 42 incher it's like one of the smallest ones <laughs> you can catch i'm like this is so stupid oh, but those are the athletes though the those like 42 to 46 inchers it's almost like they still have a little bit of pup left in them they're super athletic crazy strong blistering fast runs but then you hook like a 50 or like a 52 or a 53, you can almost say how big your fish is. The second you hook it, like you hook it, they stay down and it's just these big, just bone crushing head shakes. And you're like, this is a giant, but like a lot of times those giants, in my opinion, are easier to land. It's, it's harder to get them up and they're stronger, but like, it's not that crazy athletic, like, yeah, You know, you don't feel like you're going to lose that giant like you do the small one, where you're like, this 42 to 44 incher could just do whatever he wants with me. There's so much more, there's so much more fast and agile. I don't know.
0: Well, it's like such an incredible, I guess this is mostly like a fall fishery, mostly a fall. Yeah,
1: the bridge fisheries in the fall, they don't seem to like post up on structure in the spring like they do in the fall. In spring, they're more worried about hanging out, cruising together. And then in the fall, They're still in schools, but they're a little more solitary. Like you'll catch one off a piling and there might be a couple more down there with them. Or like if you catch one off of this piling, chances are in the next two or three pilings, you're probably gonna hook another one. Like they're still sorta close together, but they disperse a lot more in the fall. They gather back up offshore when they're migrating, but when they get on structure, they kind of just like eat and cruise around.
0: So where are the cobia at in all of this? Because like kind of intermittent between your Your giant redfish photos, like you, you, you also catch these world-class cobia. Like, is this, is this, are they in the same area? I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, they. There's plenty of times you'll find cobia in schools of drum. I mean, cobia have a whole different like migration pattern. They show up about a month after the drum do. Their magic number is like 65 degrees. Water's got to be above 65 for them to come up top. That's typically the only way I fish for them. Sight fish for them. If it's not above 65, they won't usually come up to the surface for who knows what reason. Um, A lot of guys catch them chumming and stuff like that. That just doesn't really interest me that much. I like the engagement of throwing a jig at the fish and watching him chase it, you know, making it. That's just, I don't know, it's more fun. And then catching them on a fly too. But they come up and Cobia, when they first come up, All they're worried about spawning. So you have these like pairs and triples. Sometimes you'll have these super packs that'll have like a giant female with like 20 little males with her. And you, the early season fish can be a little tougher. But yeah, they've got other things on their mind. And, you know, those early season fish are just, it's fun because they usually attack a jig after they, you have this weird like couple week period where a lot of them are spawning and they get tough to catch. But after the spawn, the Cobia go and they start relating to structure more Mm. and structure can be anything. It can be a buoy. It can be a bridge. It can be a sea turtle. It can be a big mat of cow rays. Like the (laughs) later season, I think Cobia get easier because you find them on everything. Like they, I'm not saying they'll be on every buoy, but that's when the buoy fishing gets good. That's when the bridge gets good. That's when all those kind of things get better. But, um, they just have their own whole totally different pattern. I mean, it's they're a blast. I love catching them. I mean, if you had a gun to my head, if I had to pick, I'd rather catch drum. But the Cobia, I mean, you can eat them. They're really good to eat. They're my favorite fish to eat. Yeah. Um, but I, I try not to kill too many. I mean, our, our fishery for the Cobia, just like the stripers, it's it's declined pretty heavily with uh, the commercial fishery for the bunker and stuff. But it's I mean, it's still one of the best Cobia fisheries in the world. I mean, it's still unbelievable like people who come up here have never experienced they're like oh this is the greatest place on earth and (laughs) i hate to be one of those guys but like back in my day you know (laughs) (laughs) 10 years ago all right i mean legitimately (laughs) 10 years they they have a study that shows the average size of cobia in the chesapeake bay in the last 10 years has dropped almost 12 inches almost the entire foot so they're a lot i mean it It's easy to see. 15 years ago, you could fish all day, Cobia fishing, and maybe see 10 boats with a tower. You can't drive to the ramp without seeing 10 boats on the interstate with a tower anymore. I mean, it's everybody's got one. I mean, there's days you see 200 boats with towers running around. Granted, you can see all the way across the bay most days if it's clear, so it's not hard to see that many boats, but it's once Cobia get here, you cannot look in any direction of the Chesapeake Bay and not see a boat with a tower. It's impossible.
0: Yeah, it's it's. I've never caught a cobia. My brother's caught one right next to me when we were surf fishing one time, and I've caught Never caught one off fish.
1: the surf. They do it a lot in the Outer Banks, and they actually do it a lot in Charleston. I see a lot of guys catching them in Charleston in the surf.
0: We were in the panhandle of Florida when he did that. Um okay. That was interesting, but um, it's definitely one of those unique fish that, like, you know what I like is the videos where the guys will go out and find manta rays and catch him off manta rays i'm like what a crazy way to catch a fish
1: we uh (laughs) that's the cool thing about the bay man i've caught him off a manta ray up here i mean we had a random day where i was
0: unbelievable
1: uh, a good buddy of mine jason he he's a commercial guy and i've i've just met him when i used to work at bass pro and i was one of he was one of my regulars and just invited me out there one day and i guess he was like hey this guy's pretty okay at what he does so (laughs) i'll let him keep fishing with me and I've had some amazing days on the bay with him. Like, just we had one day where he called me up. He's like, "Hey, you're gonna want to get up here and see this and climb up the tower." And it's just you know, fifteen foot wide manta ray, and there's like Ugh. thirty cobia on its back. Other days, we have those spotted eagle rays up here. Yeah, we have those here too. Those, yeah. Yeah. See those a lot more than a. I mean, manta ray was odd. I've only ever seen one of those, but um, yeah. the spotted eagle ray, we see those. I mean, if you fish as much as he does, you might see it like five times a season. They're, the nice thing about an eagle ray is they don't spook. Manta rays will spook. Yeah. Eagle rays don't care. You can hit them with a the boat. Like, they are so <laughs> stupid. Yeah. They will just fly around in the bay, and they go so slow. They're not as big as a manta ray, but something about them and the Kobe. The Kobe just like them. I mean, they'll, I've seen one where there was a time when the eagle ray turned and you couldn't see him. There were so many Kobe on his back. Jeez. Like I'd be talking 30 or 40 cobia crawling all over this thing.
0: Their habit it's... of following stuff so wow. interesting to me. I was just listening to a different podcast. It was actually from a guy who's a he's a spear fisherman, and he was talking about yeah. spearing cobia off of tiger sharks. He's like, would not recommend it. That just know.
1: doesn't he... sound like a good idea in any way. Yeah. He's like, he's like,
0: it's not a smart thing, but we've been we were spearfish. I was like,
1: what a crazy <laughs> I mean, like what dynamic. Oh, Oops, I missed the cobia. I Are they benefiting the other
0: fish somehow? Like, you would think that there's some kind of, you know, uh, mu- what a really what, I weird term where like the two fish kind of benefit off of each other, but it's like, I mean, why a tiger show?
1: I've seen them school with like everything. I mean, I you see, name see, it. You see a sea turtle, turtle, they'll have five <laughs> of them with them. You see drum, they'll be swimming with the drum. Granted, if they're with the drum, good luck. You'll never get a bait to them. The drum will beat the cobia to it 100 yeah. out of 100 times. You'll see like a pallet floating in the in the bay, and there's like five cobia swimming under it in a circle. They're just like,
2: what's that thing? I mean,
1: they're. I just think they're stupid. Like I don't don't know. I mean, they're they're a weird fish, but they're cool. I mean, it's one of those things. It's it's probably one. I mean, it's one of the big three in the bay. You got cobia, drum, and then stripers. Like that's what the Chesapeake Bay is known for. Stripers used to be number one, but like I said, I think our new poster child is just those those drum. You're crazy if you don't think it is because they they don't get any bigger anywhere else.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of catching giant striper, but like, I'll never forget my biggest redfish was 42 inches. And I caught it on a tiny little piece of calamari. I was trying to catch (laughs) bait. (laughs) It caught two that day, back to back. You know, a school bus had come through, and I was astonished at how hard this thing fought. Oh, granted yeah. i was like a high school kid so i like n- had never felt anything like that and i thought that th- that thing was enormous so when i see y'all's photos it's like geez, this is like unbelievable and I mean, that's like you like sitting isolated, on a gold mine
1: that's not like an isolated story either like we used to fish this big tournament down at virginia beach the tidewater kayak anglers like charity tournament we don't fish it as much anymore it's been a few years since i've fished it but um the first year i ever fished it see it has a slam division which is Drum, drum trout flounder and I think they changed it to drum trout striper now for like a schoolie striper um, then they have a striper division, trout division, flounder division and a drum division and the guy who won the drum division was fishing just a top and bottom rig, just a metal bottom rig, the one you buy at Walmart for 40 cents and two little snelled eagle claw hooks with a piece of fish bites on there and he caught a 46 inch drum and he won the drum division, like that's yeah. the fish that won yeah. And he was like, I was just out here fishing for croaker. <laughs> like fish bites. Yeah. yeah I, dude, <laughs> a little piece of bloodworm fish bite. So that drum smoked it. Yeah. Like
0: whatever. Oh, geez. Well, I could talk about the drum for like an entire episode, but yeah. I don't want to sell your fishery short. So we'll just move yeah, in
1: Move it a little
0: bit because I don't know, man. I, I like I've got my my personal preferences on like the kind of environments that I like to fish, but y'all's like tidal marsh scene, like the environment yeah. y'all have in those those tide affected marshes is so fantastic. Like I it's, uh, some of the coolest stuff I've done is coming up there and fishing with y'all. The wildlife is pristine. You feel like you're in a whole other country. I mean, it's just, you know, and on top of just the fishing, it's just the ambient, like, scenery around you with the bald eagles and some of the cliffs. And then knowing, like, the historical relevance of, like, where you're at and how unchanged it is. But just tell me about...
1: legitimately, like, how we're fishing places, like, where this country was founded and, like, where some of the first places this country was ever explored and settled and it hasn't changed any. I mean, you're still fishing marsh that's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Hell, it's been there for hundreds of thousands of years, Mm -hmm. but you're looking at the same marsh that John Smith looked at when he was settling Jamestown, you know, like when he left Jamestown to explore the Chesapeake Bay and map it out any one of these rivers you fish, you're looking at the same stuff he was seeing. I mean, it's... It's crazy to think about. Well, I and definitely
0: then- value it more as a Florida guy because it's so hard to find undeveloped water here. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's like every month there's new developments popping up. They're they are changing, you know, the way the water is. So it's like, man, I come up there and yeah. look at y'all's waterways. I was like, this is so fantastic. This is like, this is what it's supposed to look like.
1: Yeah, we have the benefit of a lot of our waterways are so large and they have so much flow. I don't think you could ever like redirect them or change anything to like really alter the waterways that much. Yeah. Um, you know, you got people building houses everywhere, but a lot of our waterways, like you said, the marshes, once you get to a certain area to the East, you know, Virginia has that Eastern region that they call the tidewater. That includes the ocean side, but it's like the farthest Eastern region of all of our rivers, um, turns into that salt marsh brackish marsh area. And the benefit is where the water's edge meets the marsh, there's places on these rivers where you might have three quarters of a mile of swampy marsh that you can't develop on. You can't do anything with that. So then you get to the actual land itself. And yes, somebody might build a house there, but it's not going to actually alter the river in any way. The marsh and all that filtration that is so vital for the way this Chesapeake Bay watershed functions, it's really hard for them to actually alter it. Like, I mean, unless you, I I mean, there are some people, there's one dock I can think of, and it's the only one I've ever seen, but this person has a house and I swear they have a dock going all the way out to the river. That's almost a mile long. (laughs) I don't have any idea who they contracted to build that, but that (laughs) dude probably saw his next like two years paycheck when they were like, yeah, we want to dock all the way out to the river. He's like, okay. Yeah. Oh, geez. But, yeah, well, but I mean, most of these people don't have a way to really get to the river when they're down there. Mm-hmm. So, well, and,
0: and, you know, we use the word like marsh or like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, necessarily, maybe you
1: could call it a swamp marsh. It's but, more uh, marsh than swamp. I yeah, mean, it's definitely more. I don't really consider anything a swamp unless you have like, just to me, it's like, when I think swamp, I think cypress.
0: Stagnant. Well, yeah, that too. Or water like, that's not moving a lot. Y'all's system is always in a constant state of ebbs and flows. Yeah. But what what really took me back was like just how much life is in the waters. Like everywhere oh, yeah. we went from like crazy because snakeheads are eating everything. I mean it's unbelievable. Well, we're gonna get into the <laughs> snakehead thing because I think that's the most <laughs> unique like wrinkle to this whole yeah nat- natural ecosystem thing. We it talk about how nat-
1: I mean out of the whole river. I can say with almost a hundred percent positive, like a hundred percent positive, the most diverse and just nutrient rich, like just life rich area of the river is those, those marshes. I mean, you pull up in these creeks and there's shad jumping out of the way. There's 10. I mean, perfect example. Father's day yesterday, my dad and I I guess it gives away when this was recorded. So deal. (laughs) Yeah. We went out on Father's Day and just running into one creek, we saw 15 bald eagles before we came off plate. We mm-hmm. only ran six miles and saw yeah. 15 bald eagles, different birds, cross in front of us and pass us. I mean, they're that amount of life. And a biologist buddy of mine told me, if you want to know how healthy a river or a marsh or any sort of waterway is, if you have that many raptors, that many birds of prey, mm-hmm. that is the instant Side that it's healthy because they're they're the easiest one they can leave they can just go somewhere else yeah <laughs> like they're, they're the they're the first ones to leave if it sucks and you have hundreds and hundreds this one particular area of one of these rivers it's about a 22 mile section of river they said there's over 500 nesting pairs of bald eagles in 22 miles Jeez. i mean that's unbelievable there's nowhere else in the world like that except maybe like alaska where they're like seagulls but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. I know growing up when my dad and I used to do a lot of catfishing on the James, we, uh we would stop the boat and take a picture of a bald eagle. Like that's how uncommon they were. Now it's like you pull up to the ramp and there's three in the trees at the ramp, just chill right. there looking at you. I mean, it's a great success story, but in terms of the life in the rivers, like you were saying, the amount of diversity, I mean, you're sitting there trolling down a pad line and it's like, Oh, there's a bass, there's a yellow perch, there's a white perch, there's 10 billion shad. Oh, look, there's 50 gar spotting. Like, it, it's it's really my, that's so also, my favorite so, of the world.
0: Yeah, that's what so incredible to me being there is like food seemed like such an abundant resource. Like, I recall yeah. the first year I came up there I was in a kayak at one point. There were so many of those yeah. killifish. I mean, it yeah, looked it like they were raining. And they were yep. literally like at each stroke of the paddle. I'd look back, and they'd be they'd be in the bottom of the kayak. I was like, "There is." Yeah. And like as the frogs coming across the surface of the water, they're showering through the air. Yeah. I'm like, "Is anything gonna eat my lure?" Because like food is such a massive, like there's so much. I,
1: to I eat. laughed the other day. I saw a dude trying to explain <laughs> like how he targets snakehead and both. And he's like, "I really I look for these schools of killifish and I target them." I'm like so you just cast everywhere I'm yeah like, no, they're they're all over the place everywhere I'm like i can't make two casts without just spraying a shower of killifish fish when my bait hits the water like there it, it's the most like biologically healthy area that i've ever fished i mean in this the last 10 years that i've been fishing down there really really hard it's i mean i i really i, I hard it's hard for me to like travel a lot of places because I enjoy it so much. And yeah. it's just nice to see a healthy ecosystem while you're fishing.
0: Yeah. Well it's become kind of a common theme at this point in this podcast with with snakehead talk. You know, I've had a few snakehead yeah. guys come on, but it's like that myth got busted so hard for me when I came up there and, and fished it the first time, like what snakeheads are really all about because I couldn't believe while looking for these things that, you know, that get pitched as this bloodthirsty monster from hell. There's yeah. gar everywhere. We're catching more bass than we're catching snakeheads. There's catfish, which is almost too many catfish. No, that's not all. Fish are everywhere. It's both on left the, and right.
1: Way too many catfish. Yeah, uh, ooh, that's but I'm a just totally like, different story.
0: There's, there's just there is absolutely a boundary that those snakeheads won't be able to get past, whether it be other species that they. I, it's not even yeah. competition. There's there's a shared yeah. resource there in food
1: that's I mean, insurmountable.
0: There's,
1: there's a there's shock boat studies. You know we have the boats that go around and shock and do sampling. Um, the fish shock boat studies show that their main food source. And I mean i I eat snakeheads occasionally. The northern snakeheads are phenomenal to eat, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I like catching them too much. I don't like killing them. But once in a while, you'll get one that gets gut hoofed and you know he's why feed the turtles they get enough food as it is so i'll bring him home but it is what it is but anyway you check their stomachs other than right before the spawn when they're hardly eating their stomachs are just bulging 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 full and you cut it and it's 999 killifish in their stomach like every stomach you cut open is just nothing but killifish and i mean i've found some cool stuff like i've found a chipmunk (laughs) um <laughs>
0: That's crazy. Of
1: mine found a squirrel. That was kind of cool. Um, <laughs> snakes, lizards, a lot of frogs. um But the main thing you find is killifish and little shad. And mm-hmm. uh the number one myth, or the number one thing you've heard it from everybody: What are they eating? What are the snakes eating all of? You know, they're eating, they're eating up all, up all the bass. The, all the bass. They're <laughs> all. <laughs> eating. I have never <laughs> found a bass. <laughs> I found <laughs> sunfish. I've found uh. The, the worst thing I ever found was a warmouth, mouth, which is just a really cool native little sunfish. I mean, I think y'all have them down there. Yeah, but, um, do, yeah, yeah, they're just a cool little native sunfish that sadly, as cool as they are and as badass as they are, they get outcompeted by like every other sunfish. So it kind of sucked to see a snake and eat one of those, but like is what it is. But the number one fish everyone's worried about is a bass, and I've yeah. never found one in a snakehead stomach.
0: Have you found the opposite? Have you observed um, the bass to be eating the snakeheads?
2: That's oh god, what I've heard, yeah.
1: Oh god, yeah. I mean, <laughs> especially the fry. When the with the mm-hmm. snakehead are guarding their fry, I have seen two snakeheads over 10 pounds guarding a school of fry, and there were like 20 bass just taking turns. Looked like looked like Yeah. It's just no know, chance. Two, just blitzing through there, and the snakeheads are just sitting there, like, What are we supposed to do? Nope. And by the time I fished that school and left, came back out the creek like an hour and a half later, I found the two parents, and there was like the school was like the size of a hula hoop. And when I came back, the bass had left, and it was like the size of a mason jar was all that was left. The bass oh had gosh. just decimated it. And I mean, it's the, the shock boat studies show these fish have been here for 20 years, and you Name a species, bass, perch, uh, ring perch or white perch, crappy, catfish, which are the real problem. But any of these main big sport fish that everyone likes to fish for, the numbers are better than they've ever been. The catch rate per hour is higher than ever. The average size of these fish that they're catching is higher than ever. I mean, it's it's crazy. No one's saying that's because of the snakeheads. No one's saying that. Yeah. But they're saying, like, if they're causing so much harm, well, why is this happening? You know, this doesn't make any sense. Even their number one food source, the killifish, the numbers are higher than ever. It's right. like, what, what is the problem? What are they doing?
0: I could that not reason. believe how many of those killifish there were. It was Dude, astonishing how many of them was, of the was in the water.
1: Thing, like, trillions is probably an accurate estimate. Like It's unbelievable. Oh, per, you like, know? a
0: square, like, small region, there'd be that many. You know, oh, when yeah. I think of, like, snakeheads, I don't want to say competing, but, like, sharing a, a, an area, I'd be less concerned about, like, a largemouth bass, which is, like, there's a period of overlap there where I think the bass are uh, yeah. spending some time, but, like,
1: they're moving Truthfully, off in a deeper but- water. And, like, truthfully, they fill a niche that, like, another fish doesn't fill. I mean, in our ecosystem, people think of the only fish that they probably spend the most time nearby is a bowfin.
0: Yeah, that's what I was getting at, yeah.
1: Truthfully, they don't spend as much time near the bowfin as you think. Because, like, I don't typically find bowfin up in, like, snakeheads, like, soft cover more than anything. Mm -hmm. They will hang out on a tree or a log or something. But it's usually a tree or a log that's in a pad field or a grass, like a grass mat or something. They prefer soft cover. Where I find bofed prefer the exact opposite. They like hard cover. They like a tree. They like Stumps and a stuff. Stump. Yeah. They like anything hard, or they like laying on a mud bottom. And that's one thing you'll never see a snakehead do is laying on the bottom. They're always slow cruising. Or if you do see them laying, they're, like, laid on top of a grass bed. But they don't really, they don't spend as much time side by side as you would think. And, I mean, I'll be the first to say, you put a bowfin and a snakehead, they're the same size together, that bowfin's whipping his ass 10 times out of 10. Like, they're snakeheads look mean and scary, but you've you've witnessed it. They spook at, like, you drop a pin in the boat and they'll spook. I mean, they are, for being this bloodthirsty, you know, pet-eating monster that everyone tried to like bring them out to be they i think it's just bred into them they grow up their whole life knowing they are a food item and even when they get big the only real predator they still have is birds and i mean Mm. i've seen a lot of birds take them out a lot of ospreys but like bowfin i always tell people they they almost act like a great white you know we see these juvenile great whites over we're Cobia fishing in like late fall or late summer off the beach a lot of times. Little like eight to nine foot great whites. I mean, it's not a little one, but you know what I mean? Small, considering how big they get. You can pull a 25 foot boat up right beside that great white and he doesn't care. It's like their genetics. They're just like, I'm, I'm top of the food chain. Nothing's going to eat me. They just kind of cruise around and look at the boat. Bofin do the same thing. You almost have to like hit them to spook them. I mean, yeah. they they'll sit there and like tense up and look at you, but I don't think anything eats bofin in their entire life. Yeah, <laughs> constantly get eaten. So the two fish, like I said, they they share habitat, but they really don't interact with each other as much as you'd think. And the bass, especially, when the when it gets hot. Stats aren't laying up at a foot of water where it's 90 degrees. They're right, down yeah. Off the bank I, somewhere. That's what I
0: thought I was like. The only other thing I can think that maybe there's some, like, them being near each other is the bowfin. I was very curious, like, your observations. Because I don't get to yeah. see that. There's a few areas down here with our bullseyes where you'll see bullseyes and bowfin together. Yeah. But even then, like, our, bullf- our bullseyes are in such, like, urban settings. The bowfin just yeah. are not there.
1: Yeah. And typically, one thing I've noticed is if you go to like a creek or an area that gets a lot of pressure, bowfin will be the farthest away from the pressure. I've noticed Mm -hmm. bowfin to migrate away from pressure. And people like, oh, I used to catch a bunch of bowfin in here. I'm like, yeah, but you've been in here how many times this year? Like, I've noticed almost 100% of the time, if I catch a bowfin, he will be in one of the farthest and hardest to reach areas of some of these creeks where. Mm -hmm there are places you can catch a snakehead while you're putting the boat in. And then your whole way back, you can catch them, catch them, catch them, catch them, and you'll keep catching snakeheads as you go further back. But the numbers of both ends seem to increase the further away from the pressure you get. Yeah, And I, I think it's just them being intelligent. They're like, I don't like all this annoyance. I'm going where people can't get to me. So. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting. So, like, with the snakeheads, do you have, like, a preferred – period for chasing them or is it pretty much just once it gets warm we're chasing
1: yeah. them? i typically i mean it goes back to our multi-species thing we have guys that are just hardcore snakehead guys it's all they want to fish for and i mean i love them i catch I, I spend as much time on them as just about anybody but we have so much stuff going on when it really starts warming up like in april we have the the shad run and it's it sounds silly but i grew up doing it and I, I love catching shad it's so much fun just go out there and whack on them with a fly rod. And then that comes with the stripers. And then that comes with the catfish and the flatheads, which we're going to talk about at some point. And then uh, (laughs) after that, it bleeds right into the drum and it's like, okay, I'm going to go drum fishing. Like if I can, between the two, I'm like, do I want to go snakehead fishing, which is going to be good all summer. Like once, once May gets here, yeah the fishing changes like you catch them different ways and the habitat changes as the grass grows and the fish start doing different stuff but like from may until mid-october you can snakehead fish whenever you want like they're they're game time but i would say like my favorite period is pretty much late may through June into like the first week of july like that kind of six week period and uh I have a lot of fun catching them late August because there's like a specific way I like to catch them, and it's really really good in late August. But um, from that, like after July until like late August, they kind of become a sort of like a fallback. Like if I can't yeah. go red fishing or if I can't go smallmouth fishing or something, I like ah the snakeheads are always there and they're eager to please, so it's nice to have them for that. You but yeah, have a, I think I, early summer.
0: Uh, I, I, what I like that you're doing. A lot of times when you talk about snakeheads, like it it immediately becomes like a frog fishing topic. But like you're doing more than just throwing frogs. I mean, the 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 frog is fun because the blow up is really all uh, all the excitement. But you're throwing flies at them too. Are you throwing like a top water flies? I throw a
1: lot of uh, a lot of like frog, not necessarily frog flies. Some of the ones that I tie look like frogs, but. They're more like a suggestive thing. It's not that it looks like a frog or it looks like a bait fish. It's just a thing that's waking across the surface that's like, Mm. it's just ingrained in snakehead's DNA. You look at them, they have this huge underbite. The eyes are on top of their head. They're designed to eat on top. Yeah. So you throw something that wakes and darts around on the surface, they're going to come up and eat it. I mean, they're just like, I don't know what it is, but it's trying to get away, so smoke it.
0: Now, are you are you uh, mostly sight casting at them or is it the same thing where you're like doing all this fly casting and like search Um, casting?
1: You know, during the fry ball season, that's the easiest time to get one on a fly because you're like, well, there they are. There's at least two fish right there with those fries. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a little bit of sight fishing. But um, when the tide gets really low in late summer, you get real clear water because the grass is so thick. And you can strictly sight fish them then just like drift around and wait till you see one cruising a grass line or laid up on the bank. And yeah, I mean, it's a blast to sight fishing, but I I do a lot of blind blind casting too. Got some flies that got some that, you know, I I can two hand strip really fast and cover water quick. And then I've got some subsurface ones. I actually just happened to have one laying here that's been munched on, but like (laughs) these, these game changer flies, but, um, you throw those and I fish them very fast right under the yeah. surface and they're waking and darting around and just looks like a bait fish. But um, yeah, I mean, some days I get that fly itch and I'm just like, all right, I'm only throwing fly yeah. and you can cover water. There are days, especially late summer when the water gets real hot, those fish get a little, Snakeheads are probably the last fish to get a little finicky when the water gets hot. They actually like it, but mm-hmm. they still get a little sluggish. And I swear, you can outfish gear on fly some days in August. When they're, when they're in a mood, you can really, yeah. really put a hurt on them with the fly rod.
0: Well, you have these like two shallow water, swampy, cylindrical body fish with long dorsal fins in the bowfin yeah. and the snakehead that are predatory. Yeah. Like you do a lot of fly fishing for the bowfin as well. Is there like a similarity? As I mean, is it the same game with the snakeheads as it is with the bowfin? Or is it two totally different things? It's
1: very different. Like that's very interesting. You will occasionally when you're snakehead fishing, you'll get like a fired up bowfin to eat. But Mm -hmm. it's typically only the fired up ones. Unless, I mean, now granted, this these bait fish flies, I mean, if I see a bowfin laying in the mud, I can throw it let it fall right down on his nose and twitch it. He's probably going to bite it. Yeah. <laughs> but like the way I typically bowfin fish, we have a really cool sight fishing game for bowfin because we have the tidal water that gets, that clears up. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these guys that fish form up North of the lakes, they're in the swampy, super algae infested water. They're pretty much, they're doing what's called dapping where they have yeah, like yeah eight or 10 foot of line out, and they just kind of drop the fly right on his head hook him. I do some of that, but we have a pretty rare style of fishing here where we can sight fish them almost like you're red fishing. I mean, I'll yeah. be pulling the boat and 30, 40 feet, 50 feet, sometimes as much as 100 feet in front of the boat. If you have a nice, clear, silty mud flat, you can see them laying there. Yeah. And you can <laughs> approach them just like you would a red fish, and we throw, uh, you know... This re- legitimately was not planned. These are flies that have been sitting here for years, but um, we'll throw just like crawfish flies at them. Yeah, throw these big flies. I mean, they love a crawfish. Right. And you see these bowfin laid up. You throw a crawfish to them, but you know, typical telltale sign that dorsal fin will start start yeah. wiggling. That they like kind of come over there. That's that oh like, shit uh-oh.
0: moment. Like oh, well,
1: I can't tell the if fuse big, has been lit. Know, Oh, I'm sitting here like shaking, but like if I have a buddy or somebody <laughs> on the front of the boat, I'm like, all right, all right, like get ready. He's going to eat it. How do you know? How do you know he's going to eat it? Then you just see like this puff of mud where he just like cool. drills it into the bottom. It, it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I love <laughs> it. But I mean, hell, I throw like redfish flies at Bowfit a lot, like these little like crab flies and stuff, but they, they don't care. If you throw something that looks like yep. a food item They're they just kind of like, oh, that looks good. Thump yeah the, the excitement fish.
0: the excitement of them and them is probably more just like finding them i guess at yeah. least that's what it's always been for me is like i don't know it's just a lot of times you, you know you're gonna be able to draw the bite usually but it's like yeah. i don't know that searching for them can be a of lot of fun
1: for me like the, the big difference between them snakehead is 100 percent about the bite because truthfully northern snakeheads they they don't fight that impressively like. It's about that wake and that smash on top water or like if you have one of those where he comes up to it and he's like swimming around it in a circle looking at it, you like twitch, twitch and he comes up to it, looks at it again. I mean, I almost yeah. like feeding him and making a beat more than that just like heat-seeking missile explosion. Those those bites are cool, but I like making a beat. And right. that's, that's the cool part about the snakes. And then you drill a snake head when you hit him and you have that 10 seconds of just utter pandemonium they're thrashing on top throwing water they might do like a backflip or two going crazy but then it's over you know a lot of times you end up just kind of cranking them to the rod tip and okay the bowfin though the bite a lot of times isn't that impressive they just kind of swim over there and just like knob and you drill yeah. them and then it just all hell breaks loose until yeah. you put that fish back in the water like, all right <laughs> Even when you get them in the boat, they don't stop. They just, yeah. like, they're one of the worst fish to take a photo of. Oh, like, God, I know. So hard. I have
0: so many levitation photos with them.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, Where you're like... <laughs> yeah. Weirdest face oh, ever because they freak out.
0: But the snakeheads are such a photogenic fish. Like, the, I mean, they're such an incredible looking fish. Like, the yeah. photos are just, like, incredible. They
1: have, uh, they have really... They have this, like, they all have a very similar habit of, you know, you'll have that pandemonium when you hook them. Then you kind of crank them to the rod tip, get them in the net. Everything's good. The second you get them in the net, they go freaking crazy again. They're like, oh, I don't like yeah. this. I don't like claustrophobic. <laughs> I don't like this shit. And then, then you get them out of the net. And I, I prefer to use boga grips. It's not the best thing for the camera. I'll get on my soapbox real quick. Um... If you, if anyone's listening and you want to target these fish, please, 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 just for the sake of yourself and for the sake of the fish, please, they don't have to be bogos. I know bogus are expensive, but get some sort of bogus style gripper mm-hmm. that swivels. Don't go to Walmart and buy the $14 plastic Rapala fish grips. They suck. They don't rotate. These fish go berserk and like uh, you haven't seen it until you've experienced it day i mean you've seen it you know Hmm. those those bogus style grips have the thin metal jaws and these fish i've never fished for a fish that does not want to open its mouth like a snakehead does yeah (laughs) it's like you get them in the boat they have a frog or whatever lure you use to catch them actively stabbing them in the mouth and they're still like, no, I don't want to get it back. <laughs> I don't want to get it. It's mine. So you, you kind of get them under the chin and the, those bogus style grippers. The reason those plastic ones from Walmart don't work, they're so thick. You can't get them in their mouth. And then not to mention, if you do magically manage to get them in their mouth, when they go to spin, you're going to break their jaw because they're, they're just not going to, they're not going to survive. Like the the, the grips aren't going to swivel fast enough and it's just inevitable. You put them on those bogas, and I have so many photos of me gripping them with the bogas and like popping the hook out. And whenever they freak out, they're not coming off the boga. There's no way. Yeah. You can just hold them away from your body and they just go nuts. And you're like, okay, 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 <laughs> okay, okay. And then they calm down and you're like, all right. Once they do that one freak out on the bogas, they're done. You can yeah. get your nice, crazy, pretty picture with them and everything's good. And then you drop it right back in the water and all hunky dory. But like, that's what I'm getting at. If you are going to fish for these fish, just do yourself and the fish a favor. I mean, I know they're invasive. If you want to kill them, whatever, it's still going to be better for you in the long run. Just get a pair of bogus style grippers that rotates and your life's going to be made a thousand times easier. And if you're like me and you like releasing them, you're not going to kill the fish. Well. I've caught thousands of them that have broken jaws. It's just sad. They they still want to eat, they still survive, but there's no reason to mutilate a fish like that. Yeah. Just get some swiveling bonus. We'll, we'll, like,
0: we'll jump off the snakehead thing here in a little bit, but just to yeah. just to hit a a couple, you know, other little points because it's one of those fish that I feel like there's this massive growing culture of people who enjoy them,
1: it's really. It's really good to see because truthfully the the ball crowd is getting smaller and smaller and yeah. smaller, or they're either getting smaller or they're getting drowned out more every year. like yeah. it's nice to see because i I mean, I'm guilty of it. i there's some nights I get home from work and I just like I'll sit out and pour myself a drink, and I'm just like, I got all night and i I love going out <laughs> it. On it's war time <laughs> like, yeah i'm just like i'm just in yeah. the I smell blood in the water i'm <laughs> just yeah. like i'm going after pick them. up your keyboard oh i'm, I'm terrible <laughs> about it I, I need to work on it but but like it's nice to see like somebody will post a picture and they'll you'll be the you'll see the dude kill it and there's already like 38 some guy from like,
0: connecticut Yeah,
1: or like no. The worst (laughs) is when they're like from Minnesota. Yeah, they're like from nowhere near where they're at. Twenty five hundred (laughs) miles. Yeah, (laughs) every time It's you're fine. But yeah, and but it's nice to see those already like thirty eight comets championing. It's like they don't need me. (laughs) I'll just go to like another place. Are you
0: required to kill them or not?
1: No, you are not. Can you get? Is there there any
0: legal? Like no. potential that somebody might you're knock right. on your door and you're going to get a fine because you were observed to release one back Absolutely in the water.
1: Absolutely not. The law, and it's always been the same law in every state. Anybody who wants to debate this, come at me. It's, <laughs> it's been the same. It's even been the same in Florida. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, you got to kill them. The law says it's legal. I'm yeah. calling the cops. And it's like, okay, call them, Karen. Like, I don't care. The law says it is illegal to release snakeheads. That does not mean one that you caught. That means I bought this snakehead from rarefishtrade.com. It got too big for my tank. It is illegal to release that snakehead into a body of water. Yeah. It is not illegal in any state, in any location that snakeheads, bullseye, or northerns exist to catch a snakehead. And release it immediately back to where you caught it. It is not illegal. Right. right. That is
0: they, I think the word
1: Virginia and Maryland spell it out beautifully on their website. They say we recommend you kill yeah, it. It's a but suggestion. there will be no there will be no legal action taken. If an angler catches and releases a snakehead, they, they back keep it
0: very vague in other areas. I know uh, you probably saw this just very recently, like within the last two weeks. There's been like some stories of them popping up in Louisiana for a uh, first couple yeah. sightings in yeah. Louisiana, I saw that. and it's like strongly urged to kill this fish. I mean, there's a big difference between that and
1: yeah, you know. Anyway, they've been but, in the Mississippi for like eight years now. Like they found them in a handful of places all up and down the Mississippi. Yeah. So.
0: I feel bad for y'all. Like it's such a bigger battle topic in everywhere other than a place like Florida. Like our state is so far gone. Everybody <laughs> here loves snakeheads. Dude, Nobody I, cares.
2: We
1: I got still wait the Dude, I have fished like y'all's freshwater stuff very little, like twice.
0: People here but love I everything.
1: Still, I still laugh at people that are like, the snakeheads ruined our waterways." I'm like explain to me how you would ever prove that it's like which you mean to tell me out of all the fish in the canals so like and like eight it's
0: not a like, real ecosystem anymore
1: it's, well, it's long like, gone it's like peacock bass um like dozens of different cichlid species paku like <laughs> yeah clown knife fish like there's Arab once in a while talking like they're getting caught out of that stupid hatchery place. Like people are stealing you, them
0: and releasing them into the rivers and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like but like kids, you gave but...
1: all these fish and you're like, yeah, it was the snakehead. That's what did it. <laughs>
0: like, I will what? say, like
1: being down here,
0: like those people that say that are very rare. Like it's yeah. nice to see this more so than anywhere I've ever been because I've moved my whole life. Everyone, most people down here are very, like, accepting of Gar, Bowfin, all the exotics. They just don't care. Like, people do not stomp things. There's a few. You'll get a few of them. I feel like
1: y'all are, like, numb to it now because your freshwater is so, like you said, just so screwed. Like, if you ever wanted to get it back, you would just have to poison the whole ecosystem and start over. Like, there's nothing you can do at this point. Right.
0: Well, you look at the environment that our snakeheads live in. And again, this is not about Florida, but it's like, you know, it's not like where you're at, where it's like wild river systems. Everything's already been altered. All of South Florida below Lake Okeechobee is just like flood control systems and water management. Yeah. Yeah. There's just like dams and levees and pump stations and water control management systems. There's no lakes or rivers. It's just... Canals that have already been altered and destroyed by development. There's still great fishery. You can still go to these straight, long canals and catch hundreds and hundreds of fish. But yeah. anyway, y'all snakehead topic is a very interesting one. It's one that you can really go way down the rabbit hole. But I want to kind of continue to move further into Virginia with the time that we have yeah. left because within that same river system, obviously, you have a world class cat fishery, and I don't want to get too hung up on. It's like it's a problem, but it's also an opportunity. The blue yeah. catfish thing, you know, I want to I want to like sidestep that sidebar conversation because it's just we'll we'll get yeah. drowned out by it. You do have opportunities though to catch fish that are over sixty, seventy, eighty, maybe I mean, even triple digit fish.
1: Yeah, there's there's been a few dozen over a hundred pounds caught yeah. out of the James. I think one out of the the Rappahannock and one out of the Potomac, like. There, I mean, the biggest fish get caught out of the lakes. That's, a, that's just simple biology. It's like, oh, why would a fish get over 100 pounds when it has to swim in current in its whole life? Where when it lives in a lake, it could just lay there and hang out and eat a few shad a day. And like the world record, the last three world records came out of Bugs Island, which mm-hmm. is the lake Bugs Island or Kerr Reservoir, but the, or Kerr Lake, whatever. The, it's on the border of Virginia and North Carolina. And yeah, it was like 107, 109, and 143 pounder all got caught out of there. There's been like seven over 115 caught since the 143, but none of them weighed over 143.
0: That is one of those bizarre, like, record, like, I don't know, like, I remember in high school, like, early in high school in South Carolina, I think Lake Moultrie or the Santee system still had the world record blue catfish. And it was
1: only like 98 pounds. Dude, the state And then in like in the Virginia, last
0: 20 years, it just went
2: boom, yeah, boom, boom. And the, just...
1: the, the state record in Virginia was 72 and a half pounds, like my entire childhood. Got I mean, doubled. it was 72 and a half pounds, and it is now double that. Like, I mean <laughs> that makes
0: no sense.
1: I mean, Incredible. until I was like 16 years old, the state record was 72 and a half pounds. And then one of my dad's buddies caught a 75, and on the way to get it certified. He heard that someone caught an eighty-six, and it was like crap. They like, caught him on the same day, and then like a week after the eighty-six got caught, somebody caught a ninety. I was like, "What? Yeah. What is going on?" It, it makes you wonder if we're gonna see a day
0: like it makes you wonder if we're gonna see a day where like hundred and eighty pound, dare well, I say, two hundred pound catfish. The,
1: like we said, we'll kind of keep the blue cat talk short, but I can tell you <laughs> the blue cats have become a problem now because. Back then, you know, like a 48-inch blue cat would be, I don't know, 75 pounds, whatever. Now, a 48-inch blue cat weighs like 55 pounds. There's mm. so many blue cats in some of these rivers now that the science is showing that they've, they're out competing each other. They're, mm. They are decimating the food source to where they're not growing like they were. The heyday was 15 to 20 years ago. And it was like when they really matured and they were just in the rivers, at least the, the lakes seem like they're in their heyday right now, but the rivers you're seeing, the catch rate is up, but the size is, I mean, 80 pounders are like, I mean, don't make paper, but you know what I mean? 80 pounders like turn heads again, where 10 years ago, these guides were catching an 80 pounder on every day. And now it's like, you bring one in that weighs 80, and people are like, oh, man, yeah, that's a giant. Whereas that fish very likely 20 years ago, an 80-pounder with the same length and build as that other fish probably could have weighed 100. They're just yeah. not – you can just look at them. They're not built like they used to be. You <laughs> used to see these fish that are 48 inches long, and guys are holding them like, yeah. like they're holding a whiskey barrel. Like They're, they're just <laughs> so fat, and they you just don't see them looking like that anymore. Yeah. I think you're really seeing – the the state has taken some notice into it. There's some legislation, kind of rumors going around that something's going to happen this year, but um, yeah, I, I think it, everyone knows something needs to be done. A yeah. couple, it, it never fails. There was a couple viral videos from the Northern Bay where somebody walked out at night and turned the on video, their flashlight, yeah. and it was just literally like old men used to say, "You could walk on them." You literally yeah. could. You literally could. And uh, then the next best thing, if you're in the Chesapeake Bay and you want to piss somebody off, just talk about something, screwing up the blue crabs. And somebody posted a picture of like a 30-pound blue cat they caught, and it had like 40 blue crabs in its belly. Oh,
0: and they I were like, totally oh. see
1: that. They were like, you want to know why crabs cost 180 bucks a bushel? Here it is. They're, like, yeah. they're oh, all geez. in the catfish stomach. And everybody went berserk. Everybody went nuts, and now everyone hates them all of a sudden. Yeah, it was awesome.
0: (laughs) That's funny. Well, those catfish, uh, like the blue catfish, is cool because it's got like the monster fish element, the giant monster. But y'all's real incredible one is is those flatheads, and it's the one like very very recently you posted a photo. In like those rapids, in rocks, in like this wild-looking terrain where there's like white water behind you, massive boulders, and you're fly fishing for these giant predatory catfish. That yep. is badass. That yeah, is like that, something like I will pay money to go do. Tell that me about will that. That'll probably
1: fishery. be that'll probably be my fish of the year. I mean that I've I've been doing that on and off for like probably 10 years, maybe a little longer now. I mean, we've been fishing for them in the spring and targeting them with the artificials and doing that kind of fishing now for it's about 12 years, maybe a little longer mm-hmm. and really, really, really dialing it in like the last seven or eight, but you, the fly fishing was always part of it. Cause I'm like, I could easily catch these on a fly doing the same thing. And it's not easy cause it's real technical. You got to get the fly down and, you know, it it boils down even to me tying the flies for specifically for the purpose, and the fly line needs to be correct. You need to have a leader that's built right, and there's there's a lot of technical stuff that goes with it. But you, you it's it's just it's a it's a fishery that doesn't exist anywhere else, as far as I know. I mean, in the spring, these catfish follow up our migratory shad species and herring that run up the rivers. Okay and that's what gets them there they're waiting i was wondering why
0: they were doing it i was like is this a spawn thing i didn't know what was driving the movement
1: it's it's pretty much 50 50 the ultimate goal is to spawn but what's getting them there is like oh it's time to spawn i need to eat so they're Uh, like
0: okay yeah
1: following these shad and herring and as the river spikes the shad and herring use that see where we live is right on the fall line so you have All the rocky, mountainous areas of the river—they they they funnel down right to Richmond, Virginia, or right to Fredericksburg on the Rappahannock, or right to Washington D.C. on the Potomac. Mm -hmm. All those cities are on the fall line because humans are lazy. We we migrated or we sailed up the river and got to those rocks. We're like, "Well, here looks good," and we just (laughs) dropped anchor and we built a city here. Well, those fish. The shad get to the fall line where the, you know, the terrain begins to steepen and, you know, you're leaving the tidal area of the river and they bottleneck. So the Mm. shad get there and they're like, crap, I don't want to swim through all that garbage. Like, look at all those rocks, look at all those rapids. That's going to suck. So they just (laughs) sit there and wait for what happens every spring. We get spring floods. You know, you get a lot of rain up in the mountains. It comes down the river, the river spikes and the shad are like, yo, this is way easier. Now they swim up the river. And the flatheads do the same thing. They're like, oh man, all their food's leaving. So they chase it, the river comes down and now the flatheads are in all these rocky areas of the river. They school up real heavily behind dams and and various stuff. This area of the river from Richmond up for about 10 miles, there's like 15 dams. Now, most of them are blown up but they create some cool eddies and current seams and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's what they like to spawn in. They like to spawn in that hard, gravelly bottom or sandy, gravelly bottom, but they'll use any structure they can find. They'll get behind a rock, they'll get under a tree. They'll, you know, the same kind of stuff flatheads do in the middle of the country when you see these guys noodling. Yeah. But we have the cool advantage of there being clear flowing water where you're catching them. And it's it's just a really diverse place, really different style of fishing. And there's actually a couple local guys. All of the fly fishing world records were caught in the james. They were all caught here.
2: Yeah.
1: Like all of the tippet records. And actually one dude has like four of them. He's actually who got me started on it. Never really like specifically showed me spots per se, but like I, I had an idea where the fish were anyway. And I was like, how are you catching go on fly? And he's like, oh, you know, I use a 10 weight that I go up you know throw big weighted flies they don't really seem to care they definitely care now because they're getting a lot more pressure and a lot of people have kind of curious about the youtube game you've got guys who don't really respect it blowing Hmm. it up but it is what it is but yeah you these fish have gotten harder to catch whereas i used to be able to just drag any old bait fish fly past them now I've got to drag something that looks good and I gotta work it. Actually, I mean, most of my fish I'm catching are on game changers, you know, big, flashy, well-swimming flies. And it's fun when it works, but it doesn't always work. I mean, the the situation has to be right to catch them on fly. You can't go out there when it's dirty and high and expect to get them on fly because yeah. we don't have the benefit of scent or Vibration or like a big boot tail on the back of a swim bait that creates a feeling for the, They got to see it. That's the only way. And it's a catfish. They don't see very well. So it's oh, interesting. Yeah. It's I'm a like, cool fishery,
0: man. Once you, and it's a, I and mean, they're such a powerful fish. I mean, I would think oh, if, hooking them in that terrain is just like, it are was, they going downstream? Or are they, are they stupid and trying to head against the current? Like, what are they doing? The
1: trick, the trick with the fly is you can't really fish upstream and fish the fly back like we do with the other gear you're if you throw a fly upstream typically they don't sink fast enough and it'll just be back to your feet no time so what gets hairy is you kind of have to wade up and that's what that's part of the reason why the conditions have to be right is because you have to be able to get up to them and swing the fly down and bring it back and it's It's tricky. I mean, it's just a weird set of circumstances you need for the fly. And there's been some years where it never happens where you can't get them on fly. It just, it doesn't line up once they start spawning. They won't bite anything period. They lock down, Uh, but the fly it's, it's violent, man. I mean, their fight is strong. When you catch them downriver, fishing up, they always swim upstream. They fight you away from you. And when they start losing momentum, they'll use the current to their advantage and they'll run downstream. Yeah. But with the fly, I'm typically hooking them from above them. So that it, it's funny. It, it's like it throws them for a loop. You hook them, and they're like, they don't want to swim towards the pressure. So they start swimming up sideways in the current. And they, I mean, that particular fish you're talking about, the one that I posted, that fish was one of the most crazy fish fights I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I mean, I, awesome. I threw the fly behind this tree where there's a big eddy, and stripped it twice and the fish actually like I had seen the fly still because of where the seam was I was trying to strip it into the seam and let it fall into the seam yeah and right when it came over the seam I see this big green and gold flash just boil on it and miss it completely I'm like what was th-? I mean I knew what it was but I'm like oh my god and <laughs> I like a, like a rookie I like stripped the fly out of the zone and I'm like crap what are you doing I picked it up. That's the nice thing about a fly. The fly is 50 feet away. I can pick it up and throw it right back where it was. Mm. Picked it up, plopped it back in the water, and then you just see this mouth, and it's just like thud. I'm like, oh, man, that's her. (laughs) Drilled her, like hard strip set, and it's just nuts. Tail slaps the surface. She's going every direction, and she swam down to the bottom of the hole, and I'm like, I'm actually feeling pretty good because I'm like, it's just a big hole. Like she can't really break me off. Mm-hmm. There's this one big rock and I'm going to use the typical side. I mean, it's true this time. It's the size of a Volkswagen, like, everyone <laughs> say. but now there's, there's a big rock in the center of the pool. That's that size. And I'm used to fighting from the bottom of the pool. And that rock doesn't come into play, but from yeah. the top of the pool, I'm like, Oh crap. She swam down and it was funny. She was literally fighting me from where I would, normally be standing and fishing <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, I'm like, This is just she's teasing me but yeah. she kept getting behind this rock and diving behind it and at one point we were just at a stalemate like i would pull her and then she'd go and i'd pull her and she'd go and i'm like i don't know what to do and i'm i'm sitting there i'm looking i'm looking i'm like i said like, got jeremy wade this thing is this is the only thing i can do <laughs> like, and, like the Goon
0: episode did you
1: get- Oh, dude it was about to be <laughs> and uh i reached behind me onto the rock and grabbed I have one well, of those Yeti book bags that I like to wear and it's they're watertight airtight so I'm like I'm going to throw that on my back because I had my camera and had all my stuff in it so I'm going to throw that on my back and I'm jumping in and I'll just yeah. float <laughs> through the currency below her and then she's screwed I got her and I mean I got no sooner I got that bag on my shoulder and I'm like alright here goes I was like a half second from stepping in the water and she's just like all right, I'm done. And she just swam out away from the, the rock. And I'm like, oh wait, I got a second. I just the Guardian the wrong...
0: angels pushed her out uh, of there. Because like, you yeah, were You were
1: doomed. <laughs> they were like, Don't you're gonna die. Don't do yeah. this. <laughs> no, I uh right when she swam out into that current, um, I just straight rodded her. I just pointed the fly rod right at her and just started cranking on the reel. I was like, You're I'm either gonna break you off or I'm gonna get you in front of that rock. And once I got her in front of that rock, it it was pretty much over. She yeah fought me at my feet for a few minutes, but she didn't have anywhere to go after that.
0: Well, phenomenal photos. I remember when you were first when I yeah, first that, saw them, I was like, man, what a great I, shot. I'm I'm all for a great fish photo. Yeah. Uh and and it's just like, well, I don't know where else you can see like catfish are always cool looking in photos, but you just don't see it in that kind of environment. I'm like, that is yeah that's the shot. Like that's the photo right there.
1: And that's what really bothers me with these guys blowing that fishery up, man. They, they just too many people got too many people got spoon fed this fishery and they don't understand that this doesn't happen elsewhere. It happens here. And yeah, I I mean, it's not that hard. I I love seeing people out there fishing for them. I, I like to see people experiencing that kind of fishing, but it's like, you need to be able to respect it. Like, you know, It's one thing to go out there and fish for, but it's like, did you really need to record a YouTube video walking to the spot and like where you park and all like, (laughs) why, why, why did that have to happen? So I don't know. And it's gotten more and more popular. I mean, we have guys surf fishermen from like New York coming down here to catch these things on like surf gear. It's kind of funny. Well, surf we, gear. We like I think I've seen I've
0: seen some of that, and I've heard I've heard some of the banter between you and Josh about it. It yeah. is kind of a funny looking.
1: I don't know. The photos make don't make of a lot of, a lot of, of those guys because they are one hundred percent doing it for the photo. They're yeah, like, I was like I just "Let did me the... bring my van stall." Yeah, and my I saw 11 that. Foot. I was like, that
0: doesn't seem very applicable to that environment, but
1: it's like I have my van stall and my eleven-foot custom surf rod. Yeah, surf and casting. I've got my like. I've got, like, my surf belt and my plug bag on my shoulder. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm casting, like, 25 feet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand that part.
1: It's actually, well, like, you wouldn't know that looking at the photos. That's the thing. But, like, it's so goofy. Josh (laughs) calls them the go-go gadget mod talk. (laughs) 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 They got, like, more shit hanging off of them than anything. And it's, like, bro, like, it's just funny when you go back to like when josh and i first started doing this we were catching them on like bass rods yeah These guys are out here with like shit to tame a whale and it's like, like yeah. calm down let's let's yeah. take it a little easy here
2: yeah
0: oh geez well, i know we're, but, co- we're we're creeping up on time sort of i'm happy to keep going because i want to co- i want to we just there's no way we can cover all of virginia it's just it can't be done because we're still not even like in an interior part yeah, of the state. Yeah, we're
1: like right now we're in central Virginia. Yeah, because y'all still have – go two and a half hours, three hours west.
0: Yeah, you'll have your trout fishery, and you have – I understand the smallmouth fishery is a real interesting topic. You know, I've done enough yeah. research and listened to other podcasts, and I know that that's like kind of a – that's like a hot-button topic, if I'm not mistaken, the, the change yeah, in Yeah,
1: our trout, fishing, our trout fishing, other than other than our brookies, you know – one cool thing about Virginia with the trout fishing, Virginia has by stream mileage. We have the most native brook trout water of anywhere in the world in terms oh, of okay. one, that's cool. one spot. Yeah. It's just when you get above a certain elevation, if you see a blue line on a map, it's got brook trout in it. Like that's what's, that's, what's kind of cool. There are state fish and sure they don't get big, but there's something about hiking in two miles and, you know, trudging through the woods and yeah. Yeah fishing a stream that's not even half as wide as the room I'm sitting in right now. And the fish are just gorgeous, man. I mean, it's, I've never been one of those guys who was like, it's about the journey, not about the fish. I'm like, no, it's about the fish, <laughs> but, but with the Brookies, it, it really is. They, they're so pretty. And they, they, it, it's just one of those fish I, I make seven eight, maybe as many as 10 trips a year for you, native. Need, just,
0: you need the fish at the end of it.
1: Yes. Um, now, but I, I would trout, compare yeah, that to like trip that you get skunked sucks. Oh. Like, anyway, we were saying about the small <laughs> We got on a trout tangent there. Kind of weird. Damn. But um, but it, what I was saying, the thing with the trout is most of our trout are stocked. You know, brookies, I mean our browns and rainbows are stocked. We have two blue ribbon caliber wild trout streams like that have good brown and wild reproducing browns and rainbows in them. But overall, the state of Virginia, trout fishing is rookies or stalkers. I don't fish a lot of stock trout stuff. It's just not my thing. But the uh the smallmouth, we have in the past, and growing up, that's what I s what I grew up doing with my dad was smallmouth fishing. I mean, we had a canoe, put the canoe in, go up river and fish behind dams, fish for I mean, you you name it, just fish a lot of places. And all the rivers, every single river in Virginia, tidal river that has a fall line has smallmouth. And Truly world-class river smallmouth fishing, but we're in that situation where smallmouth are not native here. They are a stocked fish. Most of okay. our sport fish in Virginia are stocked fish. Now, granted, they were stocked back in the 70s, and they've been nationally reproducing forever. But um, you get to that weird point where like Mother Nature occasionally shows you they're not supposed to be here. They spawn in... Early April, mid-April, sometimes sometimes as early as late March, if you have a warm warm spring, but you'll occasionally see them spawning into late April, or early May. Just depends. But what happens every year in the spring? You get a lot of rain, yeah. So these fish are trying to spawn, and they're making beds. It's their natural instinct to spawn at this water temperature at this time, and then you get a flood that washes the bed away. And uh, yeah. those fish don't spawn again. That's that was their try for the year. They're like, okay, let's try again next year. <laughs> we had 15 years straight. You can ask some of these guides. Everyone likes to say, oh, it's the flat hands, it's the catfish. They ate all the smallmouth. No. We had 15 years of terrible spawns because we had these huge floods and we had this just drastic age gap in our smallmouth now. It has made a massive comeback. I mean, it's not, it's still nothing like it was 10 years ago, but the numbers are slowly but surely coming back because we've had four good dry springs in a row. So the smallmouth had a nice healthy spawn. You get a lot of fry, you get a lot of, you get a lot of survival and they're coming back. A lot of the places I used to fish, you could go out there, catch the same numbers you used to, but they're smaller. Yeah, but we have this crazy age gap where we just have super giant smallmouth like 22, 23. There, a very, very good friend of mine caught a no doubt state record smallmouth on a fly with another good buddy of mine, guide on a bug on top water on a fly rod. This fish was 25 and a half inches long, smallmouth oh. bat in a river. <laughs> you can look on his, I mean, his Facebook page has it as his profile picture. It is the largest smallmouth I've ever seen. And it and it's built like a Lake Michigan smallmouth. It looks like just a football and it's 25 yeah. inches long. But like we have, we don't have many of that caliber, but we have a lot of like 20 plus inch smallmouth. And then there's like, those like mid to high teeter fish like don't exist. Like 14 to 17 inch fish. There's so few, but then you have just billions of little ones. So those little ones are hopefully in the next two or three years to go to get our fishery back to where it was. Our smallmouth fishing when I was growing up was unbelievable. I mean it was spectacular.
0: Where are they? And this is kind of like the last species I wanted to hit up on because yeah. it's one that's very interesting to me. Still kind of like a top tier bucket list fish. Yeah, I almost feel like I shouldn't be leaving the country without catching one first. But like, where are the smallmouth in conjunction with y'all's musky fishery?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, the <laughs> musky, the musky live in typically the western reaches of the rivers. They they need colder water, so they definitely need to live closer to the springs and the mountainside um, of the state. They share the water with the smallmouth. Everywhere musky are has smallmouth, but not everywhere smallmouth are has musky. Okay. Smallmouth can handle that warmer water. We catch smallmouth even a few miles into the tidal water. So like well past the fall line, but from the fall line up all the way into the far, far western reaches of the state. If you look at the Virginia on a map, there's one particular interstate that runs down the left side of the state. It's called eight. It's interstate 81. Typically when you get around interstate 81, give or take a few miles on each side. And then everything West of 81 is where the muskie are going to be. Okay. So like the, the James River, when you get way out west of the James, pretty much the entire length of the New River that's in Virginia. The New River actually is a cool river. Supposedly the second oldest river in the world or in the country, but um, it actually flows north. It it's a wild river. It's one of the only rivers that does it. It's on the western side of the Blue Ridge Mountains or the Appalachians, and it flows through Virginia to the north into West Virginia and it makes its way into the Ohio which then flows into the Mississippi. So once you get on the other side of the Blue Ridge, we have a river in Virginia that meets the Gulf. That's just a little piece of trivia for you there. But, But yeah, the new, pretty much the whole length of the new in Virginia has them and the western reaches of the James and then the western reaches of the Potomac. I don't, honestly, I don't know if the western Rappahannock has them. I don't think it does. But the Potomac, the James, the new, and then the Shenandoah. The Shenandoah beats the Potomac, but yeah, that that's typically all your musky rivers. And is and that a pretty,
0: is that a pretty like well-received or revered species or are people like they're eating yeah. all the smallmouth?
1: Well, the, they're, those guys exist. But, um, <laughs> the thing is, I mean, the musky have been here just as long as the smallmouth have, maybe not quite, but within reason, I mean, they've been here long enough to where you can't make that argument. I mean. The smallmouth fishing has been excellent forever, and the muskie have been here too. I mean it's it's just that biology. Apex predators rarely destroy an ecosystem. You know, it doesn't do them right. any good to eat all of their food. Like it's just not it how makes it sense.
0: Works. Yeah, for sure. But uh, um,
1: but yeah, they they live. They muskie and smallmouth share the ecosystem. Muskie kind of peter out as you get further east. Like it's it's really rare to catch a muskie. I would say within an hour and a half of Richmond. I mean, the Shenandoah is two hours away. But, like, if you think of the James, if you just head west an hour and a half, you're not quite to Muskie territory yet. You got to get a little further west. Are you
0: really making a lot of trips for them anyway? It seems like you kind of have to bypass. I'm like, you especially got to bypass so much other awesome fishing opportunity to get to this one fish that probably won't even
1: eat. Yeah. Josh and I talk about that all the time. We love fishing for them. It's one of my, I mean, I've got like $500 worth of musky tackle out in my garage. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of frustrating, <laughs> but not musky tackle, just baits. It's kind of frustrating, but like, it's one of those things, you know, Josh and I do the master angler program in Virginia and I'll save that for like your discussion with him. Cause that's like his big thing. And it yeah. mine too. <laughs> we're both, we're both big into it. You know, 30 freshwater, species different trophies and stuff and he's a few ahead of me he's at 24 i'm at 22 22 but either way we both got our musky and josh does a lot less fun fishing than i do i like when the summer gets here i've got the species i want to mess with and he still stays on the grind chasing the species and like i i kind of take a little bit of easier approach at it i'm like when it's the best time to target him, i'm gonna go i don't want to like force it And the muskie, we can't target them in the summer. I mean, you can, but it's not wise. When the water gets over 75, it's really dangerous to muskie. A lot of them die. They could
0: probably kill them, yeah.
1: Yeah. They won't die from living in the water, but they'll die from the stress after you catch them. So typically after late May, early June, nobody messes with them anymore. But then like you get into that habit of, okay, let's go in October, November. The places where they are in the state is such high elevation, the weather starts to suck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> musky fishing really is it's a cold weather game. And if you want to fish for muskie and catch them, the weather a lot of times needs to be crappy. Like they like to eat the crappy weather. Well,
2: I know I'll your buddy I, uh, I know
1: your buddy Blaine kind of put them on the map and y'all's Yeah, he's state. I mean, he's I'm I'm really lucky to have Blaine as a as a friend, he, we met on a boat, Kobe fishing together with a mutual friend of ours and his eyes lit up when he heard that I fished for snakehead. He's like, you catch those? I'm like, yeah, quite, quite a bit. He's like, you gotta take me. He's like, I'm dying. It's like one of my favorite fish, like uh, that I've never caught. He's like, I want to catch yeah. one so
2: bad.
1: <laughs> and I was like, all right. And it actually, we met right before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and he couldn't travel anywhere. So Uh he did this whole year of just like, I'm going to explore my home state, learn and love within my backyard. And I i think we fished together like 20 times that summer. It was like every, it never failed. It was like every Thursday, I'm driving the UPS truck and hanging out. Here's my phone, answer the phone, like, what's up, man? Like, you fish as
0: we get? We haven't even mentioned the UPS thing. I (laughs) was like, one of the coolest things about your characters, like, you know, we're sitting here, we're talking. Yeah. about all this unique fishing. I thought fishing. about
1: wearing my uniform.
0: <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like people are probably like, what does this guy do for a living?
1: It would have even been funnier if I wore my uniform. We just never mentioned it. <laughs>
0: just but wear the, fa-
2: it.
1: But the fact
0: that, like, I love the fact that you're, you know, I don't know, man. That's just like, you know, you're working. Like, you got your job, but then you have what you're passionate about, and you still are able to make it happen. But Yeah, um, it's
1: the nice thing about, you know, being union like we are at UPS, there's occasionally that time where you want to go fishing and, you go into work and it's just like you got less seniority than me, buddy. Looks like you're running my route today. <laughs> just go on home. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. You know, usually though, those lower seniority guys they don't get to work every day, so like they're more than happy to run the route because yeah. they make the money.
0: But I earned I these know. brown
1: socks. Yeah. Yeah. You, no, actually.
0: <laughs> oh, jeez, that's funny. <laughs> well. The musky thing, I knew I had to touch on that. That's just... Yeah, um... you
1: ought to come up here, man. I mean, they are the fish of 10,000 casts. They're really not in these rivers. They're not as hard to catch as they are in like a lake. We catch them. We typically catch them when we go. I mean, it's it's not like yeah. we can't guarantee a musky. You ought to come up here and do that with us in like October, November. It's it's prime time. <laughs> but it's one of those things. I mean, I feel like even when it's that cold and that miserable, that whole like embrace the suck is like a real thing. Mm-hmm. At some point you get to that point where you're like, I love this. I love how terrible yeah. this
0: is. <laughs> it's always awesome when it's over. It's yeah. like, that was awesome. I'm tough, but Dude, nobody, the, nobody sees how much you're no, bitching. In.
1: There is no better feeling in this world. And I will challenge anybody An 8 PM, just scalding hot shower in like a, a Hampton is <laughs> After <laughs> you've just been frozen solid while you were, while you were musky fishing. Oh, and yeah. then to like, get out the shower and plop yourself in the bed and you're like, I don't care what's on TV, but it's, this is the greatest moment of my life. Yeah. It's like next hour <laughs> you dude, it, It's eating like Taco Bell in a hotel room, trying to warm back up. There's such a rewarding fish. man. I don't know, honestly, if there's much more rewarding of a fish out there. You put in that much work, they're physically demanding. It's cold. It's the, the, yeah. the baits are heavy to throw. It's, it's actual work to fish for them. And then you catch one and it's I mean it.
0: What's well, it just another one of, it, of those nothing. like uniquely American species or North American species that's yeah. like you've gotta get one and it's like that's an awesome fish. That's one I gotta do within the next year, I think. But um I think one of the last things I was curious about, I kind of like wrote it down and circled it because I've never I never it seems like every like 10th post of yours is yeah. like is like uh promoting this like R V A bugs and brews thing. Yeah. Like, what is this like? Tell me about yeah, that. It's, uh,
1: me and my buddy Jacob, uh Richmond is just an amazing fly fishing hub. You've got any species you want. So where there's fly fishing, there's fly tying and A lot of these uh, big name fly shops in the Midwest, and specifically like Schultz Outfitters up in Michigan started this thing called like Bar Flies. And you just once a month meet at a bar and bring your tie and stuff, and everybody just sits around and ties flies and bullshits and tells lies and fishing stories and all that shit. And it's fun, I mean, it's just a good way to get everybody together and see, I mean, you, you know a lot of people fly fish, overall fly fishermen are almost a little more reclusive. You don't see a lot of like groups of fly fishermen out yeah. wading the river together. It's usually singular people or maybe just like a couple dudes together, but you don't see like four kids in high school, get together, load up the truck and go fly fishing. Like it doesn't, this area doesn't seem like that happens that much. So it was cool to like get everybody together. And those first couple years we were killing it, man. I mean, 25, 30, 40 people at each uh, meeting each month. And then we started bringing guests in. Like we had some local guides, some fly shop owners, and Mm -hmm. just guys who wanted to promote their own business. And it's, it's not like we try to stress, this isn't like a tying class or anything. It's just show up, buy whatever you want, prefer if you buy some food and buy a beer or something, because the place lets us come for free. We have it at legends brewing down in a South side of Richmond. It's crazy that it didn't already exist, you know, with yeah. how much we have at our disposal right here in the city. And, uh, yeah, it was cool to see like how well the the group kind of formed because it was people of all kinds and ages. Like we had kids as young as like 10 and 11 years old show up with their parents. Yeah. And then we had like some of these older guys from like some of these sort of snooty fly fishing clubs around. <laughs> and even a few of them showed up and it was like, huh, cool to see that it was, received well by everybody
2: yeah no that sounds awesome i
1: mean it's a once a month thing first tuesday of every month if anybody's listed
0: yeah that's cool there's a lot of value in like real community i think too many guys are existing strictly in these like internet communities and it's like not a healthy it's not like a healthy space to live in so it's like you you gotta have real relationship with folks
1: i've met three or four guys who i would consider maybe like maybe maybe it's maybe like five or six guys that I would consider that are like good, you know, fishing buddies now, since I've started this. And it's cool just to, you know, add people to the friends list like that. But like really your friends, not like, Oh, we talk on Facebook a lot. joke around, like actual (laughs) in person, you know, fishing buddies is kind of a cool thing to, you know, to have,
0: man, you meet a couple of other like-minded, like strong, passionate anglers. And it's like, Oh yeah. You elevate way more than you like, could have done by yourself it's like uh, there's a lot of value in surrounding yourself with other guys that are like like like-minded well it's like you can can only get so far like single-handedly by yourself
1: it's like me and josh have pretty much the same story that you and josh have together it's like you you meet somebody that has the same like drive to do something as you do and you like feed off each other when you're fishing and like it's one of those things if you're if him and I are going to go try and figure something out new, I mean, it's nice to go together because, like, he has a different background than I do. Like, I I kind of came up from bass fishing and pond fishing and that side of fishing, the more artificial game, where Josh, most of his boundaries were built from the catfishing and, like, live bait and bait fishing side of things, which people can hate on all they want. But there's just as much technique and skill involved in the live bait game as there is in the artificial game. And it's nice to have his style of fishing and my style of fishing together to really, like, piece the puzzle together. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I'm I probably cut from a similar cloth. I mean, the bait thing, it's like, it's one thing if you go to a bait store and you purchase bait. It's yeah. another if you show up at the water with nothing. Yeah. And it's like it. p- part yeah. of your day is, you know, first you have to have an understanding of the, of the forage species in the area yeah. and how to catch them. Because like, you know, I don't know, man, it's like when you get good at understanding the natural forage items that live in a river system and using them as bait, yeah. then you then when you show up with lures and you like, and you understand what these fish are really going after, you can, you can get, it's another one of those weird ones where you can become a better lure fisherman by getting good. Oh, at, yeah. Not so much bait fishing, it's but all, like bait
1: harvest and bait. All like, that knowledge capture. comes together. Like all of it's part of the same puzzle. You know, it's like, that's actually how Josh and I really started fishing together was. The summertime flathead fishery we have in Richmond, we, the whole day is built around in the morning. You got to go catch bluegill. You got to fill a bucket yeah. or fill a, fill a bait bucket with yeah, bluegill. You can't catch
0: bluegill. Your day's done. Yeah. Like you're you you're,
1: you're started. <laughs> you're, you're, your day never started. So we go catch <laughs> bluegill first thing in the morning and then go out and float them for catfish during, you know, in the river during the day. And that was, that was like the stuff we really started doing together a lot when we met built off of it from there. That's his yep. favorite fish in the world is that flat is those flatheads. Right. So.
0: <laughs> well, I can see why. They're, that's an awesome species, but same thing though. Like you know, if, if you make a trip down in Florida, that's kind of the nature of this whole thing when you start meeting people and you can benefit off of one another. I've been up yeah. to Virginia numerous times fishing your waters, but if you're ever down here, I think you'd have a lot of fun with our bullseye snakeheads with with, yeah, with any I'd, of that I'd stuff. Yeah, I'd love
1: to do it. I uh, actually my it's Fiance different. It's bird, weird.
0: It's fun. It's different. It's a lot of like guerrilla warfare, running gun, jumping behind dumpsters, hopping fences. It's a totally different, you know, it's it's fun in a different, unique way. But uh, fighting anyway, off
1: banana wielding, fighting <laughs> off banana wielding crackheads.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> They're pulling it from mysterious <laughs> locations. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, dude, um, I always kind of in this the same way. How can somebody find you like Instagram or whatever?
1: Um, I primarily use Instagram the most. Uh, it's Grant Alvis underscore fly fanatic. It, it's kind of a long Instagram name. Grant <laughs> Alvis. If, honestly, if you go on Instagram and type in Grant Alves, Alvis, A-L-V-I-S mm-hmm. underscore, it, it's going to pop up. I don't think anybody else has my name, so <laughs> you'll see it.
0: Yeah. Well people got to check it out cuz the redfish especially i don't know whatever your cup of tea is it seems like virginia has it whether it's big toothy fish like yeah, a muskie whether it's if trout if you like streams.
1: colossal if you like colossal redfish you could go on there if you scroll back to last summer you can see my personal best is a 54 and a half incher that was Ugh. that fish was special
0: Well, all right grant i'm going to hop off here we're going to hit it right at the 2 hour mark which is a is a good well, it was a good engaging conversation and we'll have to do it again another people. time because we're pretty familiar with each other. You and I yeah. more so than a lot of the other guys I've had on here. And there's just like, there's so much to unpack in the kind of fishing yeah, you I do, about that. I was like, Josh do. They didn't even touch the kayak fishing, your new boat. There's like, there's just, it's impossible. You can't cover it yeah. all. But...
1: I'd be down for a part two.
0: Anyway, Grant, good talking to you. And uh, yeah, we'll man. be in touch, man.
1: All right, buddy. Thank
0: you for listening to Boundless Pursuit. Tune in each week as we bring stories and insight from uniquely talented anglers and outdoorsmen. And if you enjoyed this show, I want to hear from you. Be sure to leave a five-star review as this is going to drive the growth and exposure of this show. And if you have feedback or guest suggestions, I would love to hear from you. And you can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com. For all other collections of media and contact information, please visit
2: www.boundless-pursuit.com.